0: Welcome to History Uncensored. As always, I'm your host, Seth Michaels. And today, we're going to do the second episode of the History of Women. And we're going to go over a pretty special name, um, at least in my mind. That's Caroline Herschel. Probably haven't heard of her. She may not have even wanted you to remember her name. But alas, there it is. And one thing to remember through this podcast... find it pretty evident she gave in her life beyond the greatest measure in all that she could she loved her family she loved her very famous older brother William Herschel as well as her nephew John Herschel pretty much her entire adult life uh, and it was her life was pretty much dedicated to those two and her dedication rings through in uh, more places than just family. It's kind of different than our first uh, History of Women podcast where we discussed Hypatia. Uh, Hypatia probably would have wanted you to remember her name. Uh, She's pretty self-serving, nonetheless brilliant. Caroline's very humble. And to start off, I really want to thank Caroline um, in helping to pave the way for women scientists uh, on an extremely long road to equal rights. I hope that every generation will know the contributions that she made to the craft of science and to women's rights. And I kind of said this during the first history of women's episode, uh, but I'm going to say it again, and I'll probably say it every. Uh, History of Women episode that I do, as somebody that really appreciates history, there is no greater regret to me than the unanimous shielding of women from the sciences. It has left history a more barren and less interesting place, and it has left society an impossible hole to fill that should never have been there in the first place. Alright, so who was Caroline Herschel? To get a good idea, let's hear a quick excerpt from her niece, who tried to gather um, Caroline's writings late in her life to get a memoir going. But indeed, if I could tell you the influence which a short account by a stranger of your labors with your dear brother had upon me as a child, and my choosing you, then so unknown to me as my guiding star and example you would understand how the possession of such a record by your own hand would make me almost believe in the auguries and presentiments and perhaps inspire some future generations more worthily as the record would be more genuine. Like I said, that's her niece on uh, trying to accumulate the evidence to write a memoir about Caroline. But here's what we have. Here's the information that we have on caroline lucretia herschel she was born in hanover germany march 16th 1750 and i want to say this as a caveat here uh, working with a more modern historical record has certain advantages like this one Um, Hypatia we didn't have perhaps an exact date of birth or um, you know so we can say for certain with caroline where and when she was born that just brings a little joy to my heart. The more you know, the better. That's my opinion. Alright. Caroline was one of ten children. Could you imagine having ten children in today's society? How expensive would that be? Um, I'll have someone else do the math for me. Because I'm lazy. Um, Or if you have ten children and you want to write to me and let me know where you were... One of ten siblings, or something. Um, maybe share with me a funny story. I'd love to hear it. But Caroline was the eighth child of ten, and uh, and she had a pretty talented siblings. Her father Isaac spent a lot of time in their early lives, really trying to ingratiate them into the worlds of mathematics, language, and music. Isaac himself was a very talented musician. Um, and he focused on that pretty much all the way up until he died. And while Caroline was young and her brothers were gaining knowledge of, of these musics and mathematics, um, she was usually at home. She was a constant companion to her mother. Though even at an early age, her mother was dealing with the care of nine other children. Um, So she didn't really have much time for Caroline. From Caroline's own writing, she states, In short, there was no one who cared anything about me. Man, that leaves a mark on a child's life, having that feeling, um, almost that despair. But it also can free you up to be um, unique, I'll say. She does in her memoirs also take a moment uh, to reflect... She takes a moment to reflect on a piece when her father took her out at night to explain something, and and I'll quote it here. For I remember his taking me on a clear, frosty night into the street, to make me acquainted with several of the most beautiful constellations, after we had been gazing at a comet which was then visible. And perhaps it was this moment that she picks out in her memoirs, um, or her writings, as perhaps the first moment uh, that her love of gazing at the stars really came to fruition even though like most of her siblings she ends up concentrating on music for the first part of her life shortly after that a scene emerges um, in her writings to clarify her love for her brother William Herschel and she was just sent running to a uh, She was just sent running to a parade. Her father and one of her older brothers were returning from war. Uh, It was damp, it was cold, and she had been out searching for quite a long time. She came back to the house, and there her father and her brother were, sitting at the table. Everybody was happy and warm, and there she was, damp and cold, and just having come from outside, searching hours for family members she couldn't find probably in despair but as she reaches home she writes my dear brother William threw down his knife and fork and ran to welcome crouched down beside me which made me forget all my grievances the rest were so happy at seeing one another again that my absence had never been perceived I'm kind of starting to see a theme here with her family um Even through all of her steadfastness and her accomplishments, uh, her ability to grasp new materials, uh, she seemed to have always been the forgotten one. And me, I I come from a family with five siblings, Um, I mean not nine, but even I can relate, especially when your siblings take up so much of the time of your parents, it's often difficult to be noticed or heard. Now, am I saying my situation is similar to that of an 18th century woman whom were often treated as second-class citizens? Absolutely not. What I am saying is I can relate to the feelings, though, and I can understand how strong of a motivator they can be later in life. And don't get me wrong, Caroline did attend school at an early age, kind of like an elementary school thing. She was often at school between 7 and 3, and then went to... Um, another class between like 3:15 and 6 to learn to knit and pretty much since that time uh, up until when she leaves later in life she was employed by her family as basically a, a house servant making linens and doing the laundry and um, making socks in particular I'm sure you can imagine 10 children go through socks crazy fast Um, So she was in charge of that. Um, And during this time when she's kind of learning and coming into her own and being this servant for her family, her brothers and her father were often sent um, to defend, to to be part of wars. And uh, so were many of the neighboring families. And she took this moment to not only be beholden to her family, but she often wrote for many of the soldiers' wives in the neighborhood, as most of them weren't literate and they couldn't write. And it really took the opportunity for Caroline to assist them, and Caroline felt obliged and wrote just as eloquently for them as she would have for her own family. It's another theme that you'll notice throughout this podcast in particular. Um, I can't even imagine... (laughs) How many hours Caroline spent uh, physically writing out copies or presentments of other people? Notes from scientific journals, um, calculations. This this little lady has uh, a dedication to friend and family like none I've ever heard of. It's incredible. And this is her story she's so humble and it's so becoming it's really hard not to fall in love with your spirit when you read her memoirs and I will have a link to the book that I read for this podcast because um, from what I found it was easily the best information available uh, includes many of her personal letters as well as a lot of her own writings uh, about the you know her time as an astronomer and her early childhood and I think everybody should read it it's really interesting to to look back at it so she's growing up and at the age of 10 she was diagnosed with the terrible affliction of typhus fever and even though she comments that to to the day when she had written these memoirs down she had never spent an entire day in bed she said that she had even gotten to the point where she crawled up the stairs like an infant basically she was she wouldn't just sit down. She, she couldn't do it. Um, and the typhus was really bad. It, it seriously stunted her growth. And she lived to be only about 4 foot 3 inches tall. That's a, that's a tiny person. I'm 6 foot 2. That's a little, that's a little lady. Um, she was told that basically uh, she was never destined to be anything more than an old maid, a uh, servant type But what she was never told is that she couldn't find solace in something else. She couldn't find, perhaps, solace in the stars. Celestial bodies faintly glimmering of hope in a black sky. Like Caroline, these represent light in a sea of darkness and despair, especially in the story of women through history. Well, her ten-year-old typhus fever had passed, and several years down the road, still beholden to her family at seventeen, her father dies. And remember, her father was the one that took her outside. It was really important to him that kind of she had a good education. When her father died, and uh, at this point, William, her favorite older brother, was already in England. Uh, She didn't really have many friends after that. Many people she could talk to or communicate with, and it um, it hit her pretty harsh and so much so that even two years of her life at this point are basically stripped from um, basically stripped from memory here and her father as I said really wanted to give her this polished education it wasn't common to give women at, in the time period but her mother was particularly determined that it should be more of a rough education her father wanted to teach her music and french and mathematics and astronomy and philosophy she spent many hours awake as a young girl staying up and listening to her older brothers alexander william and uh, her father isaac talk about philosophy in the uh, called like the living room but as i said her mom was uh, no it's uh, shouldn't do that and she writes my mother would not consent to me being taught french i could not help thinking that she had cause for wishing me not to know more than was necessary man this really puts a kink in my side here women working against the education of other women is really upsetting Um, and even though i'm positive that her mother loved her she hindered greatly the eventual genius of her daughter perhaps that it was this motion entirely that pushed caroline to be great i believe we should always really look into a person and and see if we can harbor what what's there and caroline obviously had talent she was even though she couldn't spend much time um gaining you know classical musical talent you know under the tutelage of of someone like her father or somebody else in the community she still spent a lot of her free time trying to better herself and it upsets me that during a time when her brain is a sponge for information she was held back unlike her brothers she was relegated to household servantry man that's that's sad and and she even writes that i felt unhappy that no time at all was left for improving myself Eventually, after her father died, she went on to continue her education in linen making, and um, while away from home for this education, she was happy for a short time. But in 1772, uh, by the edict of her brother William, she was sent to leave Hanover and make her way to Bath, England, to assist him in whatever he needed. And at this point, she went with a light heart. Um, She went via a post wagon and in her own words she said it was pretty inconvenient it took the better part of a week to get to the boat and upon reaching open seas she was thrashed about by a storm and it it sheared off two of the boat's masts i think it's kind of a miracle that they even made it to england but she lands on england with her brother alexander safe and sound and i'm gonna take a short break here um, a brain break I want you guys to think about a famous woman in history that you want done on this podcast. Perhaps she's alive today and making great strides in climate change or um, a wonderful female politician or whoever you look up to. Uh, I want really good role models and um, perhaps somebody that uh, is a civil rights leader. But I want you to think about an important woman, maybe in your lives or maybe in history, and just kind of take the moment to honor them while we take our break. She just landed there their brother alexander and they're making their way to bath um, passing through london and making their way to bath england to beat their brother william and even this part of the journey wasn't um i'll say fun it seemed like at every turn somebody was trying to hold her back something was trying to hold her back shortly off the boat and recently stayed at an inn uh her stuff attached to a team of horses which got spooked on the road and tipped over into a ditch um thankfully nobody was injured but some of their stuff was wrecked like i said it just kind of seemed um uh, that it was That was kind of rough for them but here's the thing they eventually make their way to bath and um both Alexander and Caroline are brought in, brought by their brother, William. Um, and at this point, William's kind of already made a name for himself as a very talented musician. And this is what she spends the, the, you know, the better part of her twenties doing is, um, basically keeping house for William, keeping control of his bank account, uh, learning from him and trying to master, um, uh, her own musical talents and she eventually does you know she uh, she's eventually put in concerts and um given lead roles but over time williams williams starts shifting right he starts shifting from music through philosophy and then into astronomy and the idea of um seeing kind of beyond earth and seeing what's in the night sky really captivates him and he starts having phenomenal dreams about building um, telescopes that even in my mind are are gigantic we're talking about 30 or 40 foot telescopes basically at this point forward you know he really starts kind of pushing caroline and his friends and kind of all of his acquaintances and starts trying to develop these telescopes and really getting into astronomy. And he starts with a 20-foot, you know, after making several smaller telescopes, of course. And Caroline is pushed into doing this. She's pushed into polishing the very large mirrors uh, that are required. The, The polish that they use comes from horse dung, a lot of horse dung. Um, so they, they have to cast the kind of like this iron and tin mirror and then polish it with an arsenic uh, from which they got from horse dung. Wonderful job. But Caroline spent her hours dutifully doing it. Um, and it, the, that job wasn't above uh, either of her brothers. So it, it wasn't just, you know, like Caroline gets the worst jobs. That That wasn't the case. And I can't think of, you know, telescope as a loose term, you know, in the, the 1770s, uh, like this thing was huge, you know, and eventually, after the 20 foot one was created, you know, we're talking about 30 and 40 feet, um, where the the mirrors were anywhere between 12 inches to the 40 uh, foot telescope being four feet in diameter. <laughs> That's crazy. And as she's kind of going through and and going through this transition with her brother, uh, she has kind of a quote that I can entirely agree with. uh, And that is that she wrote that breakfast was usually before seven o'clock. And that's much too early for me. Who would rather, Caroline would rather stay up all night than be obliged to rise at so early an hour. All I have to say to that is Caroline, fuck yeah, exactly. Morning people are weird and we should always remain suspicious of them. Always. And if you're a morning person, how the fuck do you do it? I can't do it. Um share your tips with me. All right, I'm done yelling at morning people for now. But at this point, William was becoming pretty famous for his writings uh because he's sending his findings and his discoveries into the Royal Society of Astronomy, um, kind of documenting these advancements that he's making with the telescope. And William Herschel eventually became uh, a royal astronomer, uh, and he moved out of the town and into the country. And it was here in the country that Caroline really first began observing the stars and an assistant astronomer. Her passion for music kind of was outweighed by the vastness of uh, the heavens above her. I do want to take a moment and talk a little bit about uh, William Herschel. During this period of uh, Caroline's life, he was often invited to entreat with the king and make telescopes for him and... It's kind of really interesting, the the relationship that he developed with um, King George III. If you remember anything about King George III, he was the monarch during the American Revolutionary War. Uh, But I guess he had really good eyes, according to uh, William Herschel. So just kind of interesting, wanted to put it out there. Again, more of that is in the book, but this isn't a podcast about William Herschel. This is a podcast about Caroline and that first year of learning, when she moved out to, um, you know, the farmland, was pretty difficult for her. You know, and she was given a smaller telescope. Uh, I, I believe it was a thirty-inch Newtonian telescope. It had like a focal. It had a power of twenty to thirty, and it could invariably see about a degree and a half of the the night sky. When she was learning, it was always easier when she was learning nearby her brother William who she could go for go to for any questions that she might have as she was doing what's called these sweeps across the the night sky also remember that she was over 30 at this point she's learning astronomy on the go with hardly any tutelage beyond elementary education and even though she was surrounded by bright minds she was still seen as mostly a servant. Hardly an accomplished scholar in her own right. So even though she was hardly this accomplished scholar, she was still making notes pretty constantly for William on his larger telescope at this point. And I, I guess one, one of the reasons for like moving out to the, the countryside is so he had a place to put his 20-foot telescope. Well, that's cool i want a 20-foot telescope but that first year that she was kind of sweeping the sky it was a difficult learning for her because she also had to learn to properly chart distance and calculate where these clusters of stars and nebulas that she was looking for were but at the end of by the end of that first year she had found 14 clusters or Star, clusters of stars and nebulas uh, that hadn't been recorded before. So she was really working on updating the, the star charts of the day. And she was often interrupted to catalog her brother's findings on the 20-foot telescope. And the reason was when you're in a 20-foot telescope you're usually not like next to a clock. Through the directions of William Herschel she would have to go near a clock and write down the exact time and star position of the the findings. Otherwise, you would have no way to substantiate the claims. You need to be, it's science, right? You need to be able to replicate what you're doing. It's it's the basis of all science. If you can't replicate it, probably a good indication that it's it's just garbage. Ask Andrew Hawkins about that. But back to this 20-foot telescope. Can anyone tell me if working with a 20-foot telescope in a completely unlit work environment in almost total blackness with unproven mechanisms would be dangerous? I'd say no, it's perfectly safe. Except when it isn't, which is all the time. Depending on where you were or where you were searching in the evening sky, I mean, it's possible that you could be suspended 15 feet in the air on a rickety platform. Or, let's say that some of the hooks were left laying around, and these hooks, by the way, are used to hoist the telescope and the appropriate mechanisms into place for viewing. All these hooks were were essentially meat hooks, glorified meat hooks, and on one New Year's Eve, Caroline, or Lena, as her brother liked to call her at this point, slipped in the snow and she caught her leg into onto one of these hooks. and. This is like a foot of melting snow. Couldn't even see the hook. Slipped and uh, gouged out a large checkered uh, section of her leg. Uh, She said several ounces of flesh were left behind. As she was to mend after a hasty visit from the local surgeon. Oh yeah, no big deal. Just a few ounces of my flesh. You know, hooked by basically a glorified butcher's hook while working in a near-pitch-black environment while trying to assist in astrological calculations and memorandums. You know, no big deal. Well, using this 20-foot telescope was great and all, and she and her brother had larger aspirations as I talked about. Um, well, Remember how I said they were kind of working on a 30-foot telescope? That's exactly what they're doing over the next few years, and this is we're now into the 1780s. And oh, did I say thirty foot I meant forty foot telescope well, now that they wanted to do a forty foot telescope, they needed another new place because uh the the country location just wasn't right to uh, basically build a stand large enough to fit a forty foot freaking telescope in oh besides that, um the roof was leaking and uh, it was becoming really expensive to find good help. Even with the searching for a, a new place, um, pretty much at this point in her life, every even remotely clear night was spent making observations, and, and that was the case for both William and Caroline. And even though she started in the early um, kind of she would have been like 1784 or so by 1786 Caroline had discovered 1340 clusters of stars or nebulae dang she had charted 1340 new clusters of stars and on August 1st of 1786 she discovered and charted her first comet and uh Upon discovering this, uh, she immediately, like, when proper. When she had a moment, she's like, oh, shit, I need to send this to somebody. Her brother was currently away in Germany giving a 10-foot telescope to the Gutenheim Society for from the King of England. Basically, William Herschel's telescopes were dank. They were the best of the best. Uh, others uh, being made by other scientists were just... They were often disappointed in them after somebody used a William Herschel telescope. Okay, so she discovered this uh, comet, which was uh, kind of by Ursula Major, right? Uh, The the Big Dipper. She kind of describes it as uh, she thought it was first like a cluster of stars or a twin star at first, but it was hazy. It It was a little bit different. And she wasn't sure exactly, but she had thought from the other readings that she had uh, done for, for both her brother and herself that she might have stumbled onto a comet. Well, she wasn't exactly sure. Well, comets move, right? So the only way to, to completely document it, and she was pretty lucky over the next couple of days, so the second and the third, she went back to find the, the this nebula, this star, this comet, whatever it was to her at that point, to chart it again. Well by the next day it had moved almost a degree and a half in the night sky it's definitely not a star I mean, it wouldn't be moving that fast so on the third day she confirmed again it had moved about another degree and a half and uh was in a completely different location than when she had first viewed it she double and triple checked and then she would sent her letters off to some of her friends um their brother's friends Having read the letters written by both, and I would have read them here, but I don't think I have enough time to do it. But having read the letters, uh, both written by her and by those who had received them, I can say with certainty that she was well thought of in this, you know, uh, astrological science community. One person even went so far as to congratulate her specifically, uh, mentioning that she had made her name worthy for all of time. In the letter, he he says, you know, you are important. You have made this discovery. And I I was really pleasantly surprised to see it. It warms my heart that so much care and thoughtfulness was given to the small lady in the 18th century for her discovery of a comet. We're going to take another brain break. Uh, This time, I want you to think about your favorite piece of art picture it in your mind and just uh, think about why it's your favorite and um, yeah just kind of let it resonate with you I just want you to picture your favorite art let it make you happy or sad or whatever it's supposed to do why it's important in your mind and just think about that for about the next 30 seconds or so podcast is unofficially sponsored by Mucinex and Ricola. Without them, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So, yeah, thanks, guys. My voice hurts, and that 30-second break for you was 30 seconds. For me, it was 30 minutes. Back to the podcast. So, when I left, we were talking that it was 1786, and she had discovered... First time a comet and this is important she was the very first female astronomer to ever discover a comet well what did this kind of lead into what was the the segue for this into the the rest of her life well by 1787 she was given a yearly salary of 50 pounds and this is tremendous money uh, you know at that time it, it was the first time in her entire life that she could, she felt like she could spend money on herself. Even though the the past six years, you know, she had been in charge of all of her brother's, you know, spending and daily wants. I'm oh, sorry, sixteen years or so. She had been in charge of all of her brother's spending, um, and she really did a good job. She was constantly keeping them out of bankruptcy. But in 1787 something happened, right? The king commissioned the creation of this 40-foot telescope and in that commission was uh, $200 for repairs or 200 pounds for repairs as well as this 50-pound stipend for uh, William Hirsch's assistant at the time it was Caroline. So, woo! That's phenomenal and throughout the entire creation of this 40-foot telescope, uh, the initial sum ponied up by the king was 2,000 pounds, and an additional 2,000 pounds were granted after that for the creation, and this was an incredible undertaking. You had people coming from uh, all over, the the best craftsmen, uh, several workers, and basically any type of labor force you could think of uh, were trying to house, pay, control, as well as, you know, delegate all of the duties that were required. Something that was kind of interesting in Caroline's notes about this project was she was pretty upset about the creation of the, during the creation of this telescope, the building of it, that there were several times during it that she had to basically fend off thieves uh, that were stealing tools and uh, papers and several papers weren't missing and um, people you would hire one day would be gone the next and then you'd find something else missing so there's a lot of theft going on and that doesn't surprise me too much. Uh, the, the general population that would have been working on this probably would have been pretty poor um, the, the general laborers and some of the pieces of equipment that were laying around Uh, were pretty expensive, Uh, so I can definitely see how it would have been advantageous for that to happen. As I said, she was constantly keeping them out of bankruptcy with new deals, Um, and not only was she a housekeeper, a banker, an accountant, a scholar, learning precise forms of astronomic measurement, a linen maker, a cataloger for her brother over the two years between, you know, 86 and 88, by the end of 88 she had found her 2000 cluster of stars or nebulae. I sincerely believe that this woman hardly ever slept. She accomplished more in a, a year and a half, two years, than most do in a lifetime it seems. and by gaining nothing else from this excursion into her life, I gained a very healthy respect for the amount that she was able to accomplish. It was seriously fucking impressive. Over the next 10 years, most of her records were destroyed between 1788 and 1798, though her discoveries seemed to be no less. Why were her records destroyed? Well, they were destroyed by herself. Her brother had just married in 1788. Remember, this is the person that she had basically dedicated her entire life to she's no longer taking up her brother's time she kind of grew somewhat distant and recalcitrant during this period and it was rife with personal troubles and depression uh, and it really centered around the care and affection for her family but during this time because she wasn't required to be a, a constant companion to william she was able to cement her legacy in all of history she discovered seven more comets, um, five of which the priority of her claim is completely unquestioned. That's just incredible. Um, you know, the four foot three Caroline during her life really pushed herself to the limit. You know, her small frame at ten, racked by typhus, really never held her back. If anything, it egged her on. It pushed her. It never allowed her. Place in life to be that of just a member of the crowd. And by 1800, Caroline Herschel had made 8,760 separate celestial observations. She charted 8,760 portions of the night sky. That's phenomenal. I uh, we appreciate that anytime we can look back in records and see that you know the detailed care that she took in doing so but after 1800 for the next several years caroline took leave of astronomy um, to help her younger brother dietrich he had shown up in england he was ruined in health spirit and fortune she describes this time as never having really suffered a loss uh for her brother's business um telescope making and and astronomical you know um sightings and navigation. And she ended up caring for Dietrich in the old Hanoverian, Hanoverian way. It was just cared for by the woman in the house. She took the time from her sleep, her meals, her free time, um, and you know she, she took this completely out of her time to take care of him for basically four years. And uh, never in my life have I ever read of someone so dedicated to their family. Even at this point, where she was almost shunned from her family for, uh, you know, the, the the treatment that, like I said, there was there isn't there aren't much records for that time. But the treatment that she showed um, to her brother and his new wife. But I will say this um, that in his. Her brother, and we'll call her Mrs. Herschel, had a son. His name is John, also a very famous scientist. Um, She, even though was distant from the rest of her family, still loved uh, John to death. Uh, Often doing experiments with him uh, in the house, uh, constantly being a tutor to him, really taking up the mantle of love that she once showed her brother to his son. And after reading all of this, my only wish for Caroline is that she could have studied without the need to constantly care for others. I'm sure we all could have welcomed her into, you know, this more modern world and acceptance of female scientists. Would that have made a difference though? Would she still not have cared? Would she still have cared for her siblings? My vote is yes. This is what John Herschel wrote in his diary, The the Son of William. Um, This is in 1823. Uh, so She's 73 years old at this point. She runs about the town with me and skips up her two flights of stairs. In the morning till 11 or 12, she's dull and weary, but as the day advances, she gains life and is quite fresh and funny at 10 p.m. and sings old rhymes, nay even dances. I feel pretty similar to that myself as I said before I'm not a morning person I am a night person I'm usually up doing research for this podcast you know uh, really late at night so I get it and it's probably after years of being up late at night studying the stars um, this is kind of a way of life for her in 1828 shortly after William's death and uh, she'd returned to Hanover Germany and she did something spectacular she won the gold medal of the Royal Astronomical Society for her revisions and um, unpublished work in the star catalog the gold medal for the Royal Astronomical Society by the way is the most prestigious medal that you can win it's the most prestigious award you can win um for the society uh, you know now only one is given out per year and uh, to see her name among the very first to have ever received it I believe it started in like 1824 um, is great and uh, I, I could look at that list all day and see her name one thing I, I want to point out I, I kind of glossed over it a bit uh, I did mention how amazing it was for her personally to eventually be paid as a scientist even if it was the 50 pounds a year, she was the first woman to be paid as a scientist in English history. And that's an incredible achievement. Even if it was just an astrological assistant, it's phenomenal. It's something that should be remembered as a a great moment in Western history. What were some of her other achievements? Uh, Well, she has, like I said, she did, she found eight comets, uh, five of which are beyond contestation she has a she has a comet named after her um, she has a crater on the moon named after her and as well as a poem written by uh, Adrian Rich and it's called Planetarium I'll read it now for you a woman in the shape of a monster a monster in the shape of a woman the skies are full of them a woman in the snow among the clocks and instruments over measuring the grounds with poles in her 98 years to discover eight comets, she whom the moon ruled, like us, levitating into the night sky, riding the polished lenses. Galaxies of women there doing penance for impetuousness, ribs chilled in those spaces of the mind. And I, virile, precise, and absolutely certain, from the mad webs of urine borg encountering the nova every impulse of light exploding from the core as life flies out of us tycho whispering at last let me not seem to have lived in vain what we see we see and seeing is changing the light that trivels a mountain and leaves a man alive heartbeat of the pulsar heart sweeping through my body The radio impulse pouring in from Tauros, I am bombarded, yet I stand. I have been standing all my life in the direct path of a battery of signals, the most accurately transmitted, most untranslatable language in the universe. I am a galactic cloud, so deep, so involuted, that a light wave could take 15 years to travel through me, and has taken. I am an instrument in the shape of a woman trying to translate pulsations into images for the relief of the body and the reconstruction of the mind. It's a beautiful poem. Um, It it does, the, the breadth and scope of it really do Caroline justice, and I had to read it. Another note, perhaps a bit late, I was talking about large telescopes and the 40-foot one was completed in 1789, and that was, of course, after William was married and her records were destroyed, but in the reading, I, I, I didn't mention it, but I did note it, Where uh, I have to note its completion because it's a 40-foot freaking telescope. Uh, it had over a four-foot diameter, and the mirrors that were made for this thing were over a thousand pounds. They had to be constantly polished so rust wouldn't set in. They remained the largest mirrors made until 1845, or about 60 years. And Caroline died at the age of 98 in Hanover, Germany, the place of her birth. She remains to this day one of the early female pioneers of science and women's rights. I would say, please take the time to read the book that I'll have a link in the on the page for the website on the page for this podcast uh i ask this only never seek the comfort and and i do this after kind of reading this and i guess just a few words of wisdom from me okay i ask this only never seek the comfort of the known when there's still so much to be known at the age of 30 i've developed a new respect for research and knowledge that i intend to carry through my entire life I want anyone that looks back at history to gain insight, to be encouraged, and to respect what others have done before them. For as in all things in modern society, we stand on the shoulders of giants and look out among the vastness of human knowledge. Let us remain vigilant in our dedication to moving the world forward as a better place for everyone, regardless of wealth, race, gender, or any other contrivance that you can come up with. For those of you listening, take a moment and listen to these following words. You are amazing and you can do amazing things. There are those that love you and show them more love in return than you receive. Remember that if the diminutive Caroline Herschel can reach for the stars, so can you. We can live by these words of hers. As much as we need a prosperous economy, we also need a prosperity of kindness and decency. Hey guys, this has been Seth Michaels, and the second episode of the History of Women on the History Uncensored Podcast Network. You can reach me at Twitter at Seth for Nerds, an email at contact at historyuncensoredpod.com, join my Facebook page, Uncensored Podcast Network, and if you get shoot me any questions, I'll get back to my I promise. Uh, and last but not least, it would help me out immensely if you could leave me a review, preferably a five star one. Um, Better than that, though, share my podcast with your friends, your family, your pets. Um, I I guess it doesn't really matter. I I want to share my knowledge, and um, I just want to say I love you and thank you for listening. History we will always remember.